The reading today is taken from Luke 13, um, starting at verse 10 and going to verse 21, and that's on page 872 in the Church Bibles. Now he was teaching in, in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on one of those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. And he said, Therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Thank you very much for our reading, and, and uh, let me add my welcome to Chalmers this morning. It's good to see you. Um, let me pray as we turn to God's Word. <clears throat> our Father in heaven, we do pray for your help. Help me to be faithful to your Word. Help all of us to have open ears and hearts to listen to you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning with a question, which is this. How would you describe the times we're living in? How would you describe the times we're living in? If I just gave you, I don't know, two or three words to pick, what would you go for to describe the present, the times we're living in? I'm not going to ask you to turn to your neighbor and say, but I wonder what the words would be. Scary? Depressing? Exhausting. I, uh, I read an article this week saying we need a new word for exhausting, a word that captures what if you're more tired than exhausted? Like, what's, the, what's the next phase beyond exhausted? We need a new word for that. A year ago, the word, I think, would have been unprecedented. We're living in unprecedented times. Never before has there been, in peacetime, such a kind of global event that curtails so much personal freedom and creates so much anxiety across the board. Unprecedented. It's hard to keep calling it unprecedented when you roll on to another Christmas, which might be COVID-affected, will be COVID-affected in some ways. How would we describe the times we're living in? Same old, miserable news. Perhaps that's your summary. Now, I'm mentioning that because Jesus, in this passage, wants us to rightly interpret the times we're living in. This is part two of a two-parter. Last week, Jay started us off. I and mean, if you've got your Bible open at page 872, and that would help a lot, so just open your Bible at 872, 
Uh, and, and let me just show us where this whole passage began, back in chapter 12, verses 54 to 56. So page 872, um, chapter 12, verses 54 to 56. There, Jesus is saying to the crowds, look, you guys are really good at forecasting the weather, kind of working out what's going to happen today from the weather. You know, kind of red sky at night, shepherd's delight, red sky in the morning, shepherd's warning. You're really good at that kind of stuff. But when it comes to interpreting the time, like what's going on in this present time, this stage of human history, now that Jesus has arrived, well, Jesus says in verse 59, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Really good at the weather, really failing to understand the times we're living in. And Jesus said that to the first century crowd around him as he was heading to Jerusalem. I think he would say the same thing for 21st century Edinburgh, warning us that we're missing the big picture, missing the points. After all, last week with Jay, we saw that now is a time of opportunity. In the history of humanity, Jesus says that right now there's a window of opportunity to find forgiveness with God. It's a time to get right with our maker. A time to turn to Jesus for forgiveness while there's still time. Now we don't know when Jesus will return, he said that. We don't actually know when any one of us will take our last breath. I think in a week when there's been a death in the church family, that's never more clear than this Sunday. Death is always shocking. A sudden death, even more so. Jesus said, now is the time. Don't delay. Now is the opportunity time to get right with God. That was last week, and it was pretty sobering. It was a kind of the clock is ticking moment. Jesus' pictures, he, he described humanity like a guilty defendant on their way to a court case and saying, look, settle with the judge before there's time, while there's time, while there's still a chance for leniency. Or he said, humanity, we're like a tree in a garden that's not bearing any fruit, and the gardener is giving it one more chance, one more season, one last time to turn around. That's what Jesus so far has been saying about the times we're living in. These are the last times, the last days in Bible language. And last week it was pretty sobering stuff. Now I realize if you're new to Christianity, if you just walked into church visiting for the first time today, that might all sound like a pretty stark message. Let me say there's lots of reasons to take Jesus seriously when he says things like that. No one's ever lived like him. No one's ever loved like him. No one's ever taught like him or behaved like him. It's worth listening when he gives us a warning like that. But this week, we got part two of Jesus' Jesus's explanation of the times we're living in. And actually, after the sober warning last week, this is going to, I hope, be a wonderful encouragement. There are amazing encouragements in the reading this morning. In fact, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that whatever words came to mind when I asked how would you describe the times, and however, however bleak some of those words would have been in our minds... Well, this passage should send us out with a genuine reason to rejoice. I'm not saying that lightly. I know some of us have come from really tough weeks. Some of us are grieving. Some of us are in shock. Some of us are suffering. Some of us are really struggling, probably more than anyone knows. Nevertheless, Jesus says this morning, recognize the times we are living in 
And he's going to say they're actually wonderful. It's actually a wonderful time to be alive, even with COVID raging away. Because Christians have a hope that cannot be snuffed out, whatever else is going on. So let's dive in. We've got two points to show us um, that these are actually good times to be alive in. Two points. The first one's going to be the longer one, so don't panic if that does take longer. Um, But point one is this. This is the time when the long-awaited kingdom of God has broken in to set people free. There's an outline on the back of the service sheet if you don't know, but this is the first point. This is the time when the long-awaited kingdom of God has broken in to set people free. I'm getting that from verses 10 to 17. And I'm saying it because fundamentally, this is a story about a woman being set free. She's set free from a number of things. Just read with me from verse 10 of chapter 13. Now, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Just imagine how how painful and debilitating that must have been. One of the effects, I think, of my wife, Jessie, having chronic illness, and it's been nine years now, we were counting recently, nine years, half the time of this woman, nine years, and one of the effects is that I now find myself pausing on the suffering of some of the individuals that Jesus met. Just think about this woman's life. Think what a devastating impact it must have had over so many years. The poor lady could not stand up straight. That is to say, she could not see the sky. Couldn't easily make eye contact. Couldn't work in lots of roles. Couldn't just blend into a crowd. And this had afflicted her for 18 years. 18 years. Presumably most of her adult life. Then came the day when she met Jesus, the one who could set her free. Verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Notice the language Jesus uses there. You are freed from your disability. And in verse 16, he uses similar language. Just have a look. Verse 16. Ought not this woman... A daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed, that is set free, from this bond on the Sabbath day. This is a historical account of Jesus setting a woman free, bringing the most extraordinary freedom into this woman's life. Striking that, actually, just in passing, because often the assumption about Jesus is that he's here to put restrictions on people, to spoil people's fun, as if... um, Jesus didn't come to bring freedom to women or freedom to men. as if he takes it away. The Bible says it's the complete opposite of that. The Bible says, as human beings, we're already trapped. We're trapped by all sorts of things, actually, in a fallen world. Some of them are from our own making. Some of it's our own sinfulness, our, our own wrongdoing. Some of it is external to us. And only Jesus has power to actually set people free. Now, at this point, I should clarify some things. We need to see what this woman was freed from and then how that applies to us. So what was she freed from? Clearly, it included this physical disability. She was suddenly able to stand up straight. Jesus had healed her. But there's more than that here. Just look, Jesus describes her in verse 16 as being bound by Satan. 
Well, back in verse 11, Luke describes her as having a disabling spirit. So there's a kind of spiritual dimension to the freedom Jesus is bringing into her life. Jesus is breaking the power of evil and Satan over her. Now, this is not to say that every time the Bible sees a physical illness or disability, that that's caused by an evil spirit. That just isn't the case across Scripture. And actually, um, Luke, before he was an investigative historian, was a physician. He knows there are a range of causes to various ailments. And actually, in Luke's gospel, he often distinguishes between a healing and a demon possession. This is not just kind of silly, naive superstition. But in this particular woman's case, there was a demonic spiritual aspect to her entrapment, as well as her physical disability. Now, of course, many in the modern West think there's no such thing as spiritual forces and demonic powers. That's almost a kind of article of faith you have to sign up um, to in atheistic materialism. But the Bible, and actually much of the rest of the world at the moment, and much of human history, would say that is wishful thinking. That is naive. Spiritual forces, including evil spiritual forces, are real. And only Jesus can set people free. I mean, it is the most extraordinary thing. A massive healing like this, it's amazing just, just the physical thing that happened. I mean, it's, it's not just positive thinking or a back rub that Jesus is offering here. And she's probably tried most of those things in the last 18 years. Now, this is the power of God breaking into his world to fix it, to set her free. If we'd been there, our mouths would have hit the floor in shock and wonder. No wonder, verse 13, she's immediately glorifying God. Or no wonder the people who witness it, verse 17, are rejoicing at the glorious things being done by him. I mean, just imagine the, the conversation over lunch that day. Um, hey kids, you'll never guess what happened at synagogue this morning while you guys were out at Sparklers. The most amazing thing happened. You know that lady who's always bent over? She was healed. I mean, we've never seen times like these. What a time to be alive. So how would we interpret the present time? What words would we use to describe it? Well, maybe not just exhausting, scary, depressing, monotonous. Maybe words like amazing, stupendous, astounding, miraculous, wonderful. And actually, the more we think about this episode and see what's really going on here as Jesus enters history, the more deeply we should grasp that. You see, this is a big moment in human history. It's why I've called the point the long-awaited kingdom of God breaking in to set people free. The Bible calls this period we're now living in the last days. What are the last days? Well, it's the last phase of human history. It comes with a warning. We saw that last week. It's the last chance to find forgiveness from God. But it's also a time of extraordinary power as the kingdom of God breaks into his world. That's what's going on here. Jesus is demonstrating that here. This is about the kingdom of God breaking in. Now, if you look to verse 18 and verse 20, Jesus is going to talk about the kingdom of God, but we'll get to that in point two. It's explicit there. But even the episode with this woman is about the kingdom of God breaking in. And I just want to show you that from Luke. So keep a finger here and just turn back a page to page 870. 
page 870. This is Luke chapter 11. And let's just look at verse 20. This is actually the last time in Luke, um, before our episode, when Jesus uh, cast out a demon. Um, And I want us to notice what he says it demonstrates. Verse 20 of Luke 11. Jesus says, If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Let me just read that again. If it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then he goes on to tell the story of this picture of this kind of strong warlord who's, who's, who's got this kind of palace compound and all his goods are being protected by him. And that's a picture of Satan in this world. The forces of evil kind of trapping humanity. But Jesus says he's a stronger person, overpowering the previous warlord, able to loot the compound, as it were. That's the story in chapter 11. And then we come back to um, chapter 13 and this woman, and that is exactly what we're watching with her. God's king breaking in to set someone free from the grip of Satan, God's enemy. So actually, the conversation over lunch would be a bit more like this. Hey, kids, kids, you're... You'll never guess what happened at synagogue. You know that lady who's bent over double? Well, she stood up straight. But, but, but more than that, do you realize what that means? Somebody stronger than Satan is in town. The kingdom of God is breaking into this world. The hold of evil over humanity in this fallen world can be broken. Actually, there's even more to talk about over lunch. There's even more significance to what's going on because this whole event happens on a Sabbath. That is Saturday, the the one day in seven that Jewish people kept entirely free from work. Now, one of the reasons God gave them the Sabbath, and he says this in Deuteronomy, was as a reminder of how God set them free, set them free from slavery when they were trapped in Egypt. That is to say, the Sabbath was always supposed to be a picture of how human beings were not created to slave away with no breaks. Those of you coming up to exams, (laughs) you may feel like that describes your life at the moment. That's not what we're made for. Those of us in jobs that have been massively affected by the pandemic and have become increasingly inhuman, it's not what we're made for. The Sabbath was always a picture that humanity are not supposed to be trapped under relentless, enslaving power. And so what a great day. What an amazing moment for, for Jesus to set this woman free on the Sabbath, free from her bondage to Satan. He's fulfilling what Sabbath always pointed to. He's fulfilling what he promised he would do, actually. Um, So one more page turn. This is the last one, I promise. Just turn back to uh, 860 in Luke. Page 860. This is when Jesus arrives on the scene and explains from the prophet Isaiah what he's going to be doing. So chapter 4 of Luke, page 860. And I'll read from verse 18. Let's listen to this. Jesus' manifesto, his job description. The Spirit of the Lord, verse 18 chapter 4, page 860. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, there's the freedom, recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty, there's the freedom, those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
as Jesus arrived, that long-promised prophecy from Isaiah that one day there would be a day of freedom, people being set free. And actually, this year of the Lord's favor, it's the year of Jubilee, which was like a mega Sabbath in Israel. So every 50 years, you had one year where all the slaves were set free, a reset year, a set-free year, the year of God's favor. Okay, back to chapter 13. The point is, this, this tiny-looking episode with one woman in one synagogue in Israel is actually a massive marker in human history. Jesus is showing that the Sabbath-fulfilling, Satan-defeating, full-reversing kingdom of God is breaking into a broken world. He's broken in to fix things to declare the year of God's favor, to say there is a way to be set free. See, Jesus alone has the power to deliver us from the bondage and misery that human beings find ourselves in from rejecting God. He can actually set people free. Let's just think about this for a moment, because This woman's situation, her demonic entrapment, her physical disability, is clearly an extreme case. And we might think, well, how does that apply across to us? But the Bible does describe all of humanity as being trapped by evil, enslaved, actually. Now, I realize, again, if if you're new to church and Christian things, that might sound like a really strange idea. But let me just give you one piece of evidence. Why is it we can't even live up to our own moral standards? Ever thought about that? I mean, lots of people like to think humans are essentially good deep down. Well, if that's the case, and we're free, if that's the case, why is it we can't even do the good things we want to do and think we should do? And why can't we avoid the things we regret doing? We can't even live by our own standards, let alone God's. We're trapped. The Bible says we're just kind of following along with the way of the world and following along with the devil, God's enemy, without realizing it. So we all need Jesus to set us free, to break in. And the amazing truth is he's arrived. (laughs) He's actually come in history. God's will can now be done on earth as it is in heaven, one life at a time as people turn to King Jesus and depend on him to be set free. Colossians, the letter later in the New Testament, describes Christians like this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of Jesus. It's a huge moment. This is something that the promises to Abraham, um, thousands of years before, had spoken of God's people not being cursed, but blessed. And finally this woman gets to experience it. Verse 16 again. Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Now at this point, you might, if you're you're still with me and concentrating, you might be thinking, well, hang on. What are you actually saying about 21st century Edinburgh? Because when Jesus walked around, there were these extraordinary miracles going on. The kingdom of God had broken in in that sense. Am I saying that that we should expect the same kind of miraculous healing and extraordinary signs and wonders as Jesus did? That's actually a really good question. 
think if this was the only passage we had, the only bit of the passage about God's kingdom, we might think yes. But point two is going to adjust our expectations. But we're going to get to that in a moment. So hold fire on that question. We'll come back to it. First, we need to look at the reactions to this event. There are two reactions in this passage. Just look at the first one. It's it's really shocking, actually. The religious leader of the synagogue, because he has nothing but anger and complaint and opposition towards what Jesus is doing. Verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Can you hear the cruelty of that? The cold, fruitless religion that's got hold of this man's heart. He's saying, you're messing up our meeting. You're breaking protocol. That if you must come back begging for your help and your healing, can you not come back tomorrow? It's been 18 years. What's another day? Don't you know it's the Sabbath? It's just so cruel. And it's such a contrast to Jesus and his compassion and his warmth. Did you notice in verse 12 of chapter 13, who was the one who spotted the woman? She didn't come begging for help. He was the one who interrupted the meeting, the one who called her over. He sought her out. But this religious leader would have her shut outside to keep his precious Sabbath special. Of course, he's missing the entire point of the Sabbath. And actually, he's a hypocrite. Jesus points that out. Verse 15, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to the water? I mean, you show compassion to your own animals on a, on a Saturday. You're willing to untie them so they can have a drink, not make them wait till, mon- till Sunday. Well, then how about this woman, verse 16, bound for 18 years? How about untying her? Shocking, really, that first reaction. He's just refusing to accept what God's doing in Jesus, particularly refusing to accept the time. Do you notice that? He thinks it's the wrong time to heal her on this day. Jesus is saying you need to rightly interpret the time. This is fulfilling the Sabbath. You need to get on board with God's timetable. Sadly, it's not the first time a religious leader or religious gathering has failed to match the compassion of Jesus. He came with good news, gospel for needy people. So easy for religious types to be more concerned about our schedules and organizing our meetings than that. Quite rightly, verse 17, as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. That's reaction one, refusing to accept what God's doing right now. But there is another reaction, verse 17. All the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were being done by him. This is the other reaction. I hope it's a reaction we're going to have this morning. Rejoicing, amazement, joy, excitement. Notice it's plural, actually. All the things Jesus is doing are glorious. It's glorious for this individual woman. It's glorious for the theological significance of what's going on. Here is a man who can fix the world who can release trapped sinners, who can fight back against evil. Finally, the light is dawning at the end of the tunnel. Zechariah, earlier in Luke, should be Luke chapter 173, but Zechariah 
prophesied earlier in Luke that the sunrise will visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Hey kids, you'll never guess what happened at synagogue while you were in sparklers. The lady who's always been bent over stood up straight. But more than that, Satan was defeated. But more than that, the Sabbath is being fulfilled. The kingdom of God is actually breaking into a broken world. What a time to be alive. Now, just before we launch into our final hymn, With Hope in Our Hearts, and it's a great hymn to sing, actually, the next one, um, I Stand Amazed in the Presence of Jesus and Nazarene, like, just like they did. We're going to sing that in a moment, but just before we get there, Jesus needs to make a clarification about the kingdom. This is our second point. It'll be more brief. Our second point is this. This is a time when the kingdom of God will be growing unseen from small beginnings. This is the time when the kingdom of God will be growing unseen from small beginnings. Just notice with me, verse 18. Jesus said, therefore. So verse 18 is a direct response, reaction to what has just been happening. They've been rejoicing at the glorious things he's doing. Therefore, Jesus tells these two stories. They're two mini illustrations about God's kingdom. And when you look at them, it's very clear that expectation management is going on. A dose of realism is being added to the picture. Jesus is clarifying what is God's kingdom growing actually going to look like in the present times, in the here and now, the last days, including 2021 in Edinburgh. And the short answer is it's going to be a lot smaller and less spectacular in appearance than you might think if you'd been there that day in the synagogue. Yet there'll be massive growth, global growth. So here's point two. The kingdom of God will be growing unseen from small beginnings. Two pictures, mustard seed and uh, leaven, which is just yeast. Now mustard seed, um, uh, I keep mentioning that Grace and I grew tomatoes in lockdown. Seems to be the, the illustration you can use again and again. Um, we learned all sorts of things with the tomatoes, including how small seeds are. And cherry tomatoes, even smaller seeds, you, so small you can kind of lose them in your hands when you're trying to put them in a, a pot of, of earth. Um, and mustard seeds are smaller, even smaller than that. So tiny, tiny, tiny seed. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God, which is broken in with all this power with Jesus, is actually going to look small, pathetic even, in its beginnings. Quite a surprise that, actually, if you just watch what Jesus has done. Quite a surprise if you've read your Old Testament and you know that the, the, the day the king arrives is going to be this massive day of power. Well, actually, Jesus is not on this day going to throw out the Romans and, and defeat all sickness and suffering and death. No, on this day, Jesus is walking towards his death. Have a look across to chapter 13, verse 32, just across the column. Verse 32, halfway through, Jesus says, Behold... I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. That's what we've just seen. But listen to this. And the third day I finish my course. What's the finish? Well, verse 33, he's going to Jerusalem to perish, to die. See, Jesus knows this phase of miraculous ministry demonstrating his power, the kingdom on earth, is coming to a close because the heart of his mission is to go to the cross. 
to actually provide forgiveness, salvation to people. To put it another way, this amazing inbreaking of the kingdom is going to be planted with a crucifixion. The shameful crucifixion of Jesus Christ as a convicted criminal, rejected by Jerusalem, abandoned by his followers. I mean, it does not get smaller than that. And actually, even in the early church, so if you go into the book of Acts, the sequel to Luke, in the early church, there are a whole number of miracles around the apostles to demonstrate they are God's official spokesman. But actually, beyond that, the church is small and persecuted, hounded out of Jerusalem by the Jewish establishment, the religious establishment, the rulers, and then chased around by the Roman Empire, the mighty Roman Empire. There was not much that looked mighty or magnificent about the kingdom of God. But just listen to what Jesus said will happen to this mustard seed. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. This tiny seed becomes a massive tree. And actually, that picture of a massive tree has been used in the Bible of big empires. If you're here for the Daniel series in the evenings, it was used of Babylonian empire, Nebuchadnezzar, the huge emperor of a massive kingdom. Jesus' point is is to say that my kingdom will look tiny at first, but grow to be bigger than Babylon at its height. And history has proven Jesus Christ right. Robin often says with Daniel that the emperor of Babylon, if if you want to find it now, it's in a room at the British Museum. The emperor of Rome is in a primary school module. And there are some mosaics as tourist attractions. The empire of Britain, long gone. But the kingdom of Christ, living. Billions of people following him. That's the point of the seed. From a tiny start to this huge growth. And I know if you just take a focus, narrow focus lens on Scotland, it can feel like the kingdom's not growing because as churches lose confidence in the Bible, there is shrinkage, real shrinkage in our day. But the global picture is one of growth, just like Jesus said. Okay, that's the seed. What about the yeast? What about the leaven? Well, I haven't brought my home baking kit this week, um, but there is a size thing going on here, so a small amount of yeast, and did you notice three measures of flour? Now, if your biblical measurements are rusty, like mine are, apparently it's enough bread, that would make enough bread for 100 people. So it's a lot. A small amount of yeast spreads through this massive load of of, um, flour. But there's actually another thing to notice about the yeast. It's adding something here. Just notice verse 21. It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leaven. Jesus is stressing the hidden nature of his kingdom. Yeast is an amazing thing because it works unseen, but it is unstoppable. Unnoticed. Just stick it in the dough but it will work its way through everywhere. It's inevitable. As has the gospel of Jesus, as it spreads to every corner of the globe. Below the radar, wouldn't make it into major history works, at least initially. Actually, now it's all over the place. Jesus is saying to this synagogue crowd, look, I know you've just witnessed a glorious display of the kingdom's power, but actually from now on, Growth is going to be from small to eventually massive, and it's going to be unseen, unspectacular, 
Behind the scenes, not so obvious. Jesus is managing the expectations of his followers. Yes, his kingdom has broken in. Yes, he alone can set people free from the grip of Satan. But there's a not yet aspect to the kingdom. The kingdom right now is growing, small and unseen, until Jesus' final return. It's not going to look spectacular. We, um, as a church family, have lots of mission partners around the globe and around the country. And there'll be events going on, carol services, um, outreach events, Christmas celebrations, um, church services. They'll be going on in all sorts of places over the coming month. Most of them will look tiny. Tiny. Look so kind of pathetic compared to the mighty empires of the world. But only one kingdom stands in the end. There's one place to take refuge, one place that offers real freedom from evil, and that's with King Jesus, his unstoppable, always growing kingdom. So then it's time to conclude. What are the days we're living in? Or the last days? How would you describe the current times? Well, yes, they are, we are in the days of COVID and quarantines and struggles. It's going to remain a fallen world until Jesus returns the final time. But in the meantime, these are days of opportunity. We saw that last week. Turn to Jesus before it's too late. And they're days of growth. Actual growth, unseen, small, but real growth. It's actually a good time to be alive. I wonder if we realize that. I promised I'd come back to the question of healing. Should we pray for healing? Should we expect healing as part of God's kingdom on earth? Yes, we should pray. No, we should not expect it. We should pray because we're to pray for all our needs and anxieties. God's encouraged us to do that. And let me say, there are a number of people in the church who do pray for healing. The elders of the church pray frequently for and with people for healing. I pray it for my wife, Jessie, regularly, as do others. But when we pray like that, we're praying with an awareness that Jesus has not promised that today is the day when all sickness and sorrow and suffering is removed. Quite the opposite. That's when he returns. He's even promised that sometimes in and through sickness and suffering, we grow and are able to serve and bless others. What has he promised about the present day? He's promised that the kingdom will grow, one life at a time, as people hear about King Jesus. What has he told us to pray in the present? Your kingdom come. And that's not just a a, a prayer for Jesus to return, although it is that. It's also a prayer for Jesus to set people free here and now. That Jesus would come into people's lives, set them free with his good news of forgiveness. When we pray that, we can be sure that is what God's doing in the present day. It doesn't look spectacular. It doesn't look huge. I was counting up the miracles, actual straight-out miracles that I've seen since coming to Chalmers. I was counting them up this week. There have been a whole handful of people who became Christian in the last four years since I've been here. Every single one, a straight-out miracle as Jesus set someone free. Just like he promised. His kingdom grows. It's not spectacular. It's not repeats of this kind of demonstration. But it is miraculous and unstoppable. 
See, these are the days when the Satan-defeating, Sabbath-fulfilling, freedom-offering kingdom of God has broken in. It's actually a good time to be alive in 2021. Now, our time is up. Um, I was going to do, this is the last one of our, our series in Luke for the moment until after Christmas. I was going to do a little summary of what we've seen in this first block of the journey narrative. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, and this is the last passage, actually, of the first block. Um, it's a block all about what it means to follow Jesus in a world that doesn't, following the crossbound Christ in a world that doesn't. Um, we don't have time now to do it, so um, I'll record something and, and put it up. You can watch it um, over Christmas. But I do just want to say one thing, one reflection as we come to the end of this section, if you've been around over the last few weeks, we've seen lots of things about following Jesus. And a lot of them have been hard. Prioritizing him when it's costly. Proclaiming him when not everyone wants to hear it. Waiting for him in a world that thinks that's nonsense. I mean, lots of things that have been quite hard. But it's really struck me that the very last thing of this section... The last thing to realize as we follow Jesus in a world that doesn't, as we follow a cross-bound Christ, the last thing to remember is rejoicing in him. Rejoicing in the glorious things that he's doing. It's wonderful that, isn't it? I mean, the kingdom may look small, may be unseen how Jesus is powerfully at work, but actually it's an amazing time to be alive. I hope we're praying your kingdom come for this Christmas period around here. The opportunity with new streets around us. The opportunity with all sorts of contacts across Edinburgh and our different networks to hear of Jesus, the wonderful news of forgiveness. I hope we're praying that some people will be set free. See, Christians actually have something to rejoice in. The weary world can rejoice. A, really, a weary church can rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you tell us what time it is. You tell us what you're doing in this period of history. We thank you for your kindness in holding off the end of the world so that more people can find forgiveness in Jesus. We pray for us as your people that you would help us to realize what a wonderful thing it is to know King Jesus and to see his kingdom growing. In Jesus' name, amen.